God is good, and I enjoy being in the house of the Lord. I appreciate everybody that's come out tonight. And listen, I believe that God has something that he wants to speak to us, and he's going to do it in a special way. And so if you would open your Bibles tonight, they've got it on the wall already, Psalm 119. And uh, we're going to read this entire chapter tonight. Just kidding. Those of you that know, it's about 176 verses, if I recall. Yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to read one verse tonight, and you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 18. Let's read it together. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Let's read that again. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The message is titled tonight, The Wonder of It All. You may be seated. The Wonder of It All. So we come to this psalm tonight, and now the Bible is full of wonders of God. You realize that? When we come to the scriptures, the Bible is full of wonders. Its pages contain for us the divine revelation of God to man. It tells us where we came from. It tells us where we are. And it tells us where we are going. And uh, the Bible is unique in that you can never exhaust the riches of the truth contained in its pages. You can never reach the end of the wonderful things that God has spoken in his word. And in this verse, we have a prayer. The psalmist is giving us a prayer to God. And he says, open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law, out of your word. Now, this should be the prayer of the heart of every person in this building. Are you with me? There should be a prayer in our heart that says, oh God, I want to know you and I want to know you more. I want to know what your word says about you. I want to know the wondrous things that are contained in your word. Charles Spurgeon once said that no one ever outgrows the scripture. The book widens and deepens with years. And some of you that have been studying the word of God, you know that's true. You never outgrow the word of God. It only gets deeper and wider with years. But this book is so full of wonders. The pages of scriptures, there is wonders. It shows us the wonders of his love. It shows us the wonders of his mercy, the wonders of his grace, the wonders of his forgiveness. And I love the wonders that God does in the lives of every person. Isn't God good? I want to join with the psalmist in saying, Lord, I want my eyes to be open. To say, I want my eyes to be open to what you're speaking in your word. Oh, God, open my eyes that I come to know you. You know, I thought about it in terms of like, um, you know, the Grand Canyon is visible from space. You know, you can see it from space, but you're never really going to learn a lot about the Grand Canyon from space, right? You can, you can see that it's there, but you're not going to know what's inside until you get close and you go inside and you have a look around. And that's the way the Word of God is. You're never really going to know what's inside of it if you're keeping it at a distance, You're never going to know what God has to say if you're looking at it from space. If you're far away from it, you're never going to know what's contained in the scripture unless you get inside of the book and start mining for the truths that are inside. It's something that we have to do. We have to get into the word of God. Now, I want to begin tonight by looking at a few different things. And and number one, I want to talk about the wonder of God's word The wonder of God's word. You know, the Bible itself is a wonder. You realize that? The Bible itself is a wonder. I want to take you uh, to a few passages of scripture. Tonight will be a little different than what we normally do in that uh, normally I like to take a passage and we'll go down and we'll just work through it. But tonight we'll be going a few different places in the scriptures. 
You're welcome to go there with me. They will be on the wall. Um, but there's a few things that I want to draw out about this passage tonight. And first of all, it's a wonder of God's word. Adrian Rogers once gave a wonderful summary of the word of God, and this is what he said. He said, the Bible is like no other book. It is one book yet 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. It was written over a period of about 1,500 years, at least 40 different authors, three different languages, people from all backgrounds and walks of life. But when you bring them all together, they don't make 66 books, they make one book. One book that is bound together, the Bible, there is one hero, that is Jesus. There is one villain, that is the devil. There is one theme, that is salvation. There is one purpose, it is the glory of God. If you read the Bible, you're always going to find Jesus standing in the shadows of the Old Testament and clearly revealed in the pages of the New Testament. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I love what it says in Hebrews. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is God's revelation to man. The Bible is all about our Savior. Amen. Praise God. But the Word of God, I want to point out tonight, the Word of God was given by God. The Word of God was given by God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The scriptures are useful for us in every aspect of life. And all of this book is inspired by God. I love that. And not only that, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, it says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, from time to time, you'll meet people who claim to have the revelation from God. They claim to have it all together. You need to come and find out what the Bible really says. Let me tell you what the Bible really says. And they claim to have this extra revelation from God. Let me tell you, friends, the Bible is perfect and complete. And it says right here in the scriptures, there is no private interpretation. What is there for me is there for you. If you're willing to look in the pages of scripture, it is there for you to find. And you can see what God has to say in his word. You don't have to wonder about somebody coming to you saying they got a special revelation because they're a liar. God has given us his word fully and completely here. Hallelujah. You're going to have to help me to preach tonight, guys. <clears throat> the best way. Now, sometimes people have a problem with this. They say, well, man wrote the Bible. This, they they, they want to say, well, well, mankind wrote the Bible. I want you to think about three things. I want you to think about a letter, a pen, and an author. A letter, a pen, and an author. When you get ready to write a letter, you grab a piece of paper, you grab a pen, and then you start writing, don't you? And the Bible is the same way. God is the author. The Bible is his letter, and man is the pen. Man is the instrument by which God wrote the scriptures. God himself took those holy men and moved upon them, and every bit of this book was superintended by the Holy Spirit of God so that everything in this word was written by the Spirit of God for our learning, for our instruction, for our reproof, for our understanding, and it's not of any private interpretation interpretation, but it's from God. It is for us, from God, written by God through men. Yeah. Hallelujah. He used those men in their style. He used their, the way that they spoke. He used the way that they wrote their personalities, but every bit of it was guided by the Spirit of God. 
Isn't that wonderful? All these different authors we talked about, 40 different authors, and it was all guided by God, and all of it agrees, and all of it is true. The Word of God is amazing. Now, because it is the Word of God, we know that it is alive, and the riches can never be exhausted, just like we said, just like the psalmist says, open my eyes that I can see the truth of your Word, Lord. Open my eyes that I can see you, that I can know what your word says. The Bible talks about the natural man can't understand the things of God. It's something that has to be given to you by the Spirit of God. There are lots of really smart people who read the Bible, who think they're really smart in the Bible, but they're actually really dumb because they don't have the spiritual revelation that God gives by his Holy Spirit. If you want to understand the Bible, you need to know the author. If you want to understand the pages of scripture, you have to know Jesus, who is the one that it's all about. Because when you know him and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, then he will make Make it real to you. He will help you to understand it, and you will know that it is from him. It is true, and he will give you the understanding. God will help us to understand. The word of God is perfect and complete. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. When you take the totality of the scriptures and everything that God has written to man, everything that God has given us through the ages in his holy word, you find out, just like this verse says, it is perfect, it is sure, it is right, and it is pure. The Bible is perfect and complete. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing that should be added to it or taken away from it. God has given us everything that we need to know from Him. From Genesis to Revelation, God's plan for the ages has been revealed to us. Hallelujah. That's why it says in Jude that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Once delivered, God has given us his word. In another place in Galatians chapter one, verse eight, it says, though we or an angel preach from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If anybody comes to you with something other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, send them down the road. The gospel is plain and simple. It is the death, it is the burial, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If they come with anything else, they are a liar. You need to send them down the road. Paul says, let them be accursed. Even if an angel is flying through the heavens, tell them to go. They have no place because we have the scriptures once delivered for all the word of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mankind hopelessly lost in sin without, without hope. We needed a savior, totally depraved without hope on our way to hell and God provided the savior. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. He died in our place. His blood was shed for us and on the third day he rose from the grave so that we could have everlasting life. That, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ and he ever liveth to make intercession for us because he is a sinner into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? I'll go as long as I can go. I'll go as long as I can go. As long as you can stand me, I'm going to go. You start walking out, I know I got a problem. The word of God is true and reliable. True and reliable. We know by experience when we apply the principles of the word of God that God will effect a change in the lives of a person. Those that are believers know that's true. 
that when we come to the scriptures and we apply it to our lives, the things that are contained in the word of God, by experience, we know that God will affect a change in our life. We know that by experience. But many people, they view the Bible as a storybook. They view the Bible as, you know, a, a cartoon drawing of Noah's ark with a giraffe's head sticking out the top of it, you know? That's how they see the Bible. But the Bible is so much more than that. It's not a storybook. It's a real account about real people in which a real God was moving in their lives. These are real things that happened in history. They're not just stories, but God moved in the lives of real people throughout history in the word of God. It's just, hallelujah. The Bible's historically accurate, prophetically consistent, and it is uniquely reliable. Every promise is going to be kept that God has made. Every prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And every word that God has spoken is going to come to pass. You know, one of the greatest ways that we know the Bible is God's word is through prophecy. You realize that? Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But listen, I said it before. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And from Genesis to Revelation, you can look and Jesus can be found. Prophecies about him that are going to be fulfilled in that time. There are prophecies over and over about his first coming. Prophecies about his second coming. There are prophecies all throughout the Bible about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. He's clearly seen in the word of God. The religious leaders of that day, Jesus said something to them in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. He said this, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Jesus was saying, you all are looking in the scripture. You're trusting in your own understanding. You're trusting in what you think you know about the scriptures. You're trusting in your laws and in your rituals. And Jesus was saying, I want you to know something. All of those things in the scriptures are pointing to me. And you will not have that life because you will not come to me. The very one to which all of those things you hold to are pointing to. They were so close but they just couldn't quite get it figured out. And Jesus, he says, all the scriptures testify of him. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they were talking of the day that Jesus rose again from the grave and they were talking about all the things that had happened. They said, it's the third day and we had hoped that he was going to be the one, but their eyes were holding. They, they, couldn't, they didn't know that it was Jesus till later on. But one of the things he said to them along the way, he began to expound to them. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets unto the things. He said, it says this, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It was later on, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke with us on the way? It says in another place, it talks about all that was written of him in the law of the Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him. Listen, folks, this whole thing is about Jesus. It's all about him. Wouldn't you love to have had a recording of that sermon that Jesus gave that day to those disciples where he expounded all the things concerning him? I'd love to have that commentary. It'd be the only one you need. But remember I said one of the best ways to know that the word of God is the word of God is through prophecy. And I come across something interesting that I want to share with you about that very thing. There was a man uh, by the name of David Reagan who wrote an article on a book that was written by a man named Peter Stoner. Now, Peter Stoner was a mathematician, and he was, an, uh, he, he was a chairman, actually, of mathematics and astronomy. Uh, 
in California, and he wrote a book called Science Speaks, Science Speaks. And one of the things that he did was apply the science of probability to the messianic prophecies of Jesus. That would be the first coming of Jesus. The science of probability, as far as uh, what are the odds that all of these prophecies would be fulfilled by accident in one person. That was what he set out to do. And he came up with something very interesting. He actually used the very scripture that I just read a moment ago. It talked about search the scriptures for in them they testify of me. And that was the very thing. That was the thing that launched him on it. And so he began his research and, and he came up with eight of the best known prophecies about the Messiah. And he calculated the odds of their accidental fulfillment in one person. And listen to what he discovered. He said, the odds of their accidental fulfillment in one person is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now that may not mean a lot to you, but that means that there is a one and 17 zeros after it. That's, that's a little more than the lottery even. <clears throat> Eight prophecies. And, and so the number is a, a hundred quadrillion actually. And, no, and so he took this number and he, he said, let me give you an illustration of what this means. He said, you, you take the state of Texas the entire state of Texas, and you fill it knee-deep with silver dollars. The entire state of Texas, knee-deep with silver dollars. And he said, then, then you put a, a black check mark on the back of one of those silver dollars. You throw it out into the state, wherever. He said, then you blindfold a man, and you send him out into the state of Texas, knee-deep in silver dollars. And he said, the odds of that man picking up that black check mark on that coin on the first try is the same as only eight prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus. That's amazing. Now, let me tell you something else that really is going to blow your mind after that. He said, and in, in his research, this is a conservative number. There are others who say more, depending on how they calculate it, how they, how they uh, uh, interpret different things. But Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies when he came the first time. He perfectly fulfilled over 300 related to his first coming. If only eight was that unlikely then how can you possibly dispute that the Son of God has visited us and has fulfilled the things in the Scriptures that were written of Him? The prophecies of the Bible tell us exactly that the Bible is God's Word to us. If you just took 16 of those, you're looking at 45 zeros at the end of that one. If you took just 48 of those, you're looking at 157 zeros at the end of that one. Basically, he's saying it's just not rationally possible that one man could come and fulfill all these prophecies. And he said even the skeptics sometimes will say, well, he did it on purpose. He went around... <laughs> You know, he went around fulfilling, what does it say about me? Okay, I've got to go over and turn some water into wine today. I've got to do this and uh, had a checklist. Okay, even if you say that, there are some things that he just simply could not do that with. For instance, the town of his birth. Jesus couldn't have decided that when he decided one day I want to fulfill prophecies. The nature of his betrayal, as indicated in the Psalms. The manner of his death, as indicated in Psalm chapter 22, when it talks about his crucifixion. And something else about that. Approximately a thousand years before Jesus was born, David prophesied that the Messiah would be crucified, having his hands and his feet pierced. And you know what? When that was written, the Jewish method of execution was stoning. 
and the Romans had not yet perfected crucifixion. Isn't that amazing? It just, you look at that and you say, do I need all that to believe the word of God? No. But is it cool? Yeah. I believed the word of God before I came across that. But when I read it, it just tells me more and more and more that there are wondrous things to behold in the word of God. It will dig into them and find out what they are. Hallelujah. So prophecy tells us that the word of God is true. And not only that, the word of God is timeless and it is preserved. Psalm chapter 12, verses six and seven says, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The words of the Lord are going to be preserved forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. He said, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus was saying every word that's spoken in this Bible is going to be fulfilled. I don't intend to keep you all very long tonight. I just have a few more thoughts. I, I'm probably going to cut this message short, maybe continue it another time, um, just not to labor you and labor me at the same time. But I do wanna get a few things across to you that not only is the Bible a wonder, but our Savior is a wonder. The wonder of our Savior. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called what? Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Jesus is a wonder. Vance Havner once preached a message and his outline was like this. Number one, he said, Jesus was wonderful in his birth. He was wonderful in his life. He was wonderful in his death. The Lord Jesus Christ was wonderful in his resurrection. He is wonderful in his present ministry. And finally, he is wonderful in his power to save. And I thought, you just couldn't get much better of an outline than that. And I said, why didn't he leave anything for the rest of us to preach? But to expand on that, you, you say, well, Jesus was wonderful in his birth. Virgin born, the word became flesh. He was wonderful in his life. He walked among us yet sinless and perfect in fulfilling his father's will. He was wonderful in his death in that he who knew no sin became sin for us and bore the full wrath of God. He was wonderful in his resurrection. Death could not hold him. He broke the power of sin and death and hell and rose again from the grave so that one day death could be swallowed up in victory. He is wonderful in his present ministry in that he ever liveth to intercede for you and me. He is wonderful in his power to save and that Jesus came to save his people from their sin and as many as will come to him, he will in no wise cast them out. Amen. Jesus is wonderful. And I want to talk to you also about the wonder of redemption. Not only is the word of God wonderful, not only is Jesus wonderful, but redemption is a wonder. Redemption is a wonder. The Bible says in Galatians chapter four, verses four through five, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, 
made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent the Redeemer. In the fullness of time, that means at exactly the right time. I think about it in terms of a glass that's full of water. If you add one more drop, it's running over. If you take one drop out, it's not full anymore. But exactly the fullness of time at exactly the right time, God sent forth his son born of a virgin to redeem us that were under the curse of the law that we could have life and have life more abundantly. Hallelujah. The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. I want you to know that redemption was costly. Forgiveness is free, but it was costly. It wasn't free to Jesus. It wasn't cheap. Forgiveness is free, but it was not cheap. The Bible says that we were bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The precious blood of Christ. Not only that, but redemption was a demonstration of God's love and mercy. It was a demonstration of God's love and mercy. Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five. There's something rich here you need to see. It says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved we have love and mercy and grace all in those two verses the Bible says that God is love you remember the Bible says that God is love And because of that love, he is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. It says right there in that verse, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. But a lot of people talk about love, but love, the love of God is not what saves us. The love of God does not save us. If that was true, then it would say, for God so loved the world and the whole world was saved. But that's not what it says. See, love was a motivator. Love was the motivator. God is love and love was a motivator. That's why it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It says, but God commended his love or demonstrated his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So love was a motivator. And even though God is, is, is love and he's rich in mercy, he's not going to violate his holiness and his justice. The justice of God says every sin must be paid for. Every sin must be fully and completely paid for. And the holiness of God says sin cannot be in my presence. I've got to do something about it. So God couldn't just save us by his love. He couldn't just save us by his mercy. Here's what happened. God, in a demonstration of his great love and mercy, sent his son to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to satisfy what was necessary to redeem us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. I've thought about this a lot. You you think of love and mercy and grace and you try to put them all together. Let me me give you a statement that that I've I've done my best that I think will, will help us all with this. Love moved the heart of God to provide a savior according to his mercy, to satisfy the requirements of his justice and holiness so that God could freely save us by his grace. Love was the motivator that sent the Savior in mercy to satisfy the requirements 
of a holy God so that he could save us by his grace. The Bible says, by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Redemption was a work of grace. I don't know about you, but that means a lot to me to see that, the love and mercy and grace of God. Just a few more thoughts, and then I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Are you all still with me? Can you stand to listen to me? I can't stand to listen to myself, but I want to go until the Lord gives me that okay to stop. The wonder of our future in Christ. That's the next one I want to look at. Our future in Christ is wonderful. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. In whom, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Right now we're living in until. Right now we are living in until, but we're looking forward to unto the praise of his glory. We're in until. We're waiting for God to show up, to take us home. We've heard the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've trusted in his death and burial and resurrection. We've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've repented of our sins. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the, the down payment, that there's going to be more glory to come. And now we're waiting until, until the redemption of the purchased possession Unto the praise of his glory. When you were saved, you were coming from some place. Now you're going to some place. He saved us from something to bring us to something. When we came to Jesus, we, we were in our sins, but he brought us out of our sins and he brought us into a new life with him. He gave us a new hope. Our, our old future was one of hopelessness. It was, it was one of darkness and nothing good. But he gave us a new future, which is life and blessings and peace and joy forevermore. I'm so glad that with Jesus Christ, we have a new future. We have a new future. We have a new hope that doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. An inheritance that is incorruptible. It is undefiled and it will never, ever fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. Hallelujah. We went from somewhere. Now we're going to somewhere. We went from a horrible pit to a solid rock. We went from condemnation to no condemnation. We went from darkness to light. We went from corruptible to incorruptible. We passed from death to life. And with Christ, we're going from this sin-cursed world to God's glorious heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've got reservations in heaven. We're in until... We're living in the great until, looking forward to the great unto, where we're going to see our Savior. And when we get there, we're going to be like Jesus. That's the wonder of our future. The wonder of our future is we're not going to be like this in sinful bodies. We're going to be like Jesus in redeemed, glorified bodies. We're all going to be changed. The Bible says it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, when he shall appear, we will be like him. Or we will see him as he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
the wonder of our future in Christ. We're going to not only be like Jesus, but we're going to be with Jesus. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself to where I am, there you may be also. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. And Jesus, I, I like to break that John 14 verse 3 down like this. Jesus said, if I go, and he did, and prepare a place for you, and he is, I will come again and receive you unto myself, and he will. And he did, and he is, and he will. Just like he said. And you can take his word for it. He said it, he'll do it. And finally, we're going to be trophies of his grace. Trophies of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is part of the wonder of our future in Christ. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. When we're in heaven, the angels are going to walk by and they're going to, they're going to see me there and they're going to say, how did he get here? Do you have any idea who that is? How did he get here? And Jesus will say, by my grace. Amen. Don't you like him now? Amen. He's not what he used to be. Amen. He's a trophy. He's one that I purchased with my own blood at the cross of Calvary. And now in the ages to come, I'm going to show him and everyone else the riches of my grace and my love and my mercy in what I did at Calvary. Hallelujah. Every one of us, the angels will marvel. How did they get here? Only by the blood of the lamb. Only by the grace of God. That's how we get there. Praise you, Jesus. He's going to present us faultless before the throne of his glory someday. Hallelujah. I have one more, one more thought, and we're going to give an invitation. I'm done at this point. I just want to leave one thing for you to think about. So we're talking about the wonder of it all, the wonder of God's word, the wonder of our Savior, the wonder of redemption, the wonder of our future in Christ, wondrous things that we see in the word of God. Beautiful things that we behold in the pages of Scripture. The evangelist was, uh, Gypsy Smith was well known from years back, several years ago. Called to preach at the age of 17. And he preached for 70 years. And they asked him about his freshness and his vigor in his old age, and this is what he said, 70 years of preaching. I'm doing good to get through seven months of preaching, <laughs> 70 years. And he says this, they say, Gypsy, how do you do it? He says, I have never lost the wonder. Amen. Amen. I have never lost the wonder. That's the question. I, I've given you four, four wonders tonight. And now here's one question. Have you lost the wonder of it all? We've gone to the scriptures and we've seen all these glorious truths. And oh, how I wish I could have said them better. 
And we've seen all this. And now the question is, have, have you lost the wonder of it all? Have I lost the wonder, the, the wondrous things that are in the word of God? Have I lost the wonder of it all? That's, that's the question for us tonight. Have we lost the wonder? You think about a little baby and, and, and you're holding them when they're young and, and everything is incredible, isn't it? You see their little eyes darting around. Everything. The ceiling fan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think I've seen that in church before, but it wasn't a baby. <clears throat> everything is incredible when you're a child. And I think that's why Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 18, verse three. And that, that same man, Vance Havner, posed this same question in a message about the wonder. And that was his question. Have you lost the wonder? And that's why I wanted to bring that out at the end of this message tonight. When I'm talking about the wonder of it all, what better place to put that question than have you lost the wonder? And he told a story that I want to share with you. And then I really will be done. I know you, you're saying you said that a minute ago. But he told this story, and I think it really drives the point home. He said... A passenger on one of those great trains going west was observed to exclaim every few minutes the word wonderful. He would feel the plush on the seats, look out the window, look at the passengers, and everything he saw drew from him the word wonderful. When curiosity got the better of a fellow passenger, he inquired what all this meant. And the man replied, this is his reply, until a few days ago, I was blind from my birth. But a great doctor recently gave me my sight, and now everything looks wonderful to me. The landscape, you passengers, even these seats look wonderful to me. And when the great physician touches our blind eyes so that we see, does not everything take on a new appearance? Because we have seen him, and shall we not find ourselves singing his praises? Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Prince of peace, counselor, mighty God is he, saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. He is my redeemer, praise his name thank you Jesus thank you Lord so the question is have you lost the wonder and maybe the prayer tonight needs to be oh great physician Jesus Open now my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And oh, God, restore to me the wonder of it all. The revivals that are happening around in different places right now, what do you think is happening? God is restoring the wonder of it all. We open the book, we search the scriptures, and they all talk about Jesus. But we miss the wonder of it all. We don't see the beauty of what it says. Our eyes are closed, we're blind, and when you say, oh God, open my eyes that I may see the beauty of your scriptures. If that's the prayer of our heart, then surely, we'll see a revival too. If that's the cry inside of every one of us and we're serious about it, then surely God will do according to his word. If we catch a glimpse of his beauty when he opens our eyes to see it, 
Will we not be like Isaiah and say, woe is me, I'm undone. But God will bring the cleansing coal and there will be a reviving and a renewing and then we'll be saying, here I am, send me because I've caught the wonder. I've caught the wonder again. Brother Chris, bring a song tonight. So that's my question to you. You that are here in the house, you that are watching online, you that are going to watch later on at some point, right where you are, make this scripture verse your prayer tonight. It's, it's right there on the wall. Open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. If that becomes your prayer, and that prayer becomes a fire inside of you, and you get into the scriptures and begin to dig in, come out of space and come in and look, open the pages. It's hard, but it's worth it. The scriptures are where life is. It's where hope is. That's the earnest plea from my heart. And I spent time personally this afternoon praying exactly what I've just told you. Because I want it to be true in me. And I honestly said to the Lord, I have lost a wonder in many ways. As Jesus said, repent and remember your first love. Go back where you left it. Go back to the scriptures and ask God to revive you again. Because he might just do it. If we pray in faith and believe him for it. And when it happens, you might see that when you catch fire, maybe your family catches fire. Maybe your church catches fire. Maybe your county catches fire. Maybe your state catches fire. Maybe your nation catches fire. Maybe the whole is awakened one more time before Jesus comes. Let it happen, Lord. Let's stand tonight. I'm going to open these altars. You can pray, of course, right where you are. But these altars are open tonight. If any need that you have, maybe you don't know the Lord, but something inside is drawing you tonight saying, I need this Savior. I know I have been a pitiful wretch to listen to tonight, but I've given you the word of God that he's given me to bring to this congregation tonight. I prayed it over, I've studied it over, and I've done it in the best way that I know how, and it's all up to you and God from here. So take the time and get before God and let God do a work in you. These altars are open tonight.